Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. What we're trying to do there is that people know that this is not something rigorous. This is not something difficult. Um, Kathy likes to talk about crowding out rather than excluding. In other words, if you put a lot of vegetables and fruits into your diet, there's less room for the stuff that you really shouldn't be eating. But it's also, it's fun. Uh, You get to meet new foods. You get to talk to people who are vegan, all of a sudden you have a great bond. It, it is an adventure. For me, of course, it has been an incredible adventure since meeting you and then writing your books and everybody else's books. I'm not saying other people need to do that. But if you are interested in uh, animal protection or you're interested in health, um, you know, for me, it was writing, but there's so many other things you can do mm. that can advance the cause if that's where you choose to go. Um, so yeah, it, it is an adventure. Season three of the Plant Strong Podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Welcome to the Plan Strong Podcast. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and uh, this is going to be a very special episode for me and hopefully for you, uh, the listener, because of the relationship that I have with, with this person. Have you ever come across a person in your life who just brings out the best in you, they challenge you, they ask the right questions, they're present, and they recognize qualities and gifts that maybe you didn't even know that you had. Well, my good friend Gene Stone is one of those people for me, and I can't wait for you to meet him today. Although I have to say, you've probably already met him through his prolific writing. Gene is the author or co-author of over 50 books, including, you guessed it, a couple of my books, including The Engine 2 Diet and Plant Strong. Some others that you may know are Dr. Michael Greger's book, How Not to Die, the first Forks Over Knives book, and Living the Farm Sanctuary Life by Gene Bauer. The list of his books on health, wellness, and nutrition is impressive. And today, we dig into his latest project, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, that he co-wrote with vegan rock star Kathy Freston. Now, here's the the cool thing that I admire so much about Gene. When I first met him back in 2006, he wasn't planned strong at all, but he had an open mind, which allowed him to have a Galileo moment while working with me that built as he was working with others that enabled him to see the truth, the the undeniable truth about the benefits of a plant-strong life. Today, Gene literally eats, sleeps, breathes, and writes the lifestyle, which is how his new book, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan, came to life. It answers the inevitable question that we all get, why in the world would you want to do that? So let's catch up and start answering these questions with my good friend and author, Gene Stone. All right, gang, here I am, season three of the Plant Strong podcast. And I think it's about time that I introduce you to this man who I think next to Anne Essie, my sister Jane, uh, there's nobody that I'm closer to that I've had on the Plant Strong podcast than Gene Stone. 
And uh, Gene, you, you and I go back a good, uh, gosh, now it's a good 13, 14 years. And I, I want to talk about our history. I want to talk about the new book that you just came out with and, uh, and all the exciting things that are going on in the world of, of veganism and all things plant-based. So for starters, for starters, right? Um, I, well, first, let me just say this. So season three, what we're really do, doing is we're honoring trailblazing individuals that have, they've had a Galileo moment. It has kind of defined uh, their, their truth and then kind of the way that they go forward and, uh, and the path that they leave. And I, I really don't know anybody that's probably helped more people on the planet go plant-based than you, right? Wow. Because of all the different people that you've collaborated with um, since our journey 13 years ago. So for starters, let me just say, well, how do we know each other? Why do we know each other? Why do we love each other so much? <laughs> Those are three very, very different questions. <laughs> uh, I can tell you how we know each other is one day I got a phone call from the person you had just picked as your agent saying, hey, Gene, um, do you want to meet this Texas firefighter? And I said, no, because what would I have in common with a Texas firefighter? And he said, no, 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 you really ought to talk to this guy. He's interesting and he's vegan. And I thought, oh, I think that's vegan, but I know what you mean. Yeah, so yeah. Um, we started chatting and I said, okay, I'll talk to him on the phone. And so I can't remember if you called me, if I called you, but it was really one of those um, amazing moments because I would say within an hour, not only had we bonded, but we also discovered that your grandfather had saved my mother's life 30 years, 40 years earlier, which is like, whoa, the universe is talking to us. Well, that and that to me was it was a very telling conversation. And it was one of those things where, OK, this is more than coincidence. I think this was meant to happen. Right. That, that you and I collaborate together to um, to write the first book, The Engine 2 Diet, which then led to the second book. And, of course, the the, the third book. I just so, want to interrupt, by the way, in yeah. case anyone's curious, Rip's <laughs> grandfather was a surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic at a time when my mother had breast cancer and she refused to have a um, to have both of her breasts taken off, which was the standard practice at that time. But only Reb's grandfather is willing to do a lumpectomy, which basically saved my mother's life. And this took place in, I think, 1970. And the two of them, uh, my mother wrote a book about it. And the two of them went on TV together. And neither Rip nor I had any idea that we had this connection until I guess it came out maybe an hour or so or two hours into uh, our conversation. No, that's exactly right. And th thank you for bringing that back to, to Barney, because you're right. I mean, back in the 70s, he is really the he's the surgeon that brought the partial mastectomy, the, 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 the lumpectomy to America. Known as, known as the savior of the American breast. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it, it is. I mean, what a small world that of all the potential writers to hook up with, uh, it was you and that relationship that your mother had with my grandfather. If that's not the universe telling us something, then, then what is? Oh, then we also discovered that your aunt, Susan, had been one of the people who had encouraged me to go into writing. <laughs> right, right, right. Like two doses of a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Now, so when I met you, you were very far from being, I, well, you were, you were not a vegan. You were not plant-based. No, no, I wasn't. You, can you tell people where you were? And if anything, I think you referred to yourself as a meataholic. I was, a, I was definitely, well, by that time I wasn't a meataholic as much as I was, well, I certainly wasn't plant strong or even plant okay. Um, <laughs> because I, I really loved fish and I loved cheese. And, you know, I'd written a lot of books already for, um, for various doctors, but nobody had really hit me over the head with the uh, plant strong message yet. So, um I was a little reluctant. Um, I thought, I don't know, but you were such a um, avid supporter of, of the idea that I thought, well, you know, I actually remember the conversation. It must have been after, as soon as we decided we'd work together, I remember saying to you, hey, you know, I guess I should try this thing, right? And you said, yeah, let's do that. And, and you became um, the most incredible coach. 
And I, and I and I feel bad for people who didn't have you as a coach because mm. I don't even know if you remember. You would call me like two or three times a day, like, "What'd you eat? What'd you what do you eat? What'd you eat today? How do you feel? Did did you not eat fish? Are you sure?" And it was like, "Okay, I, I, this is like going to have to happen." No, I remember very well, almost like it was yesterday, when I was like, "Listen, if you're going to write, you know, help write this book with me, I really think that you need to do the 28 day challenge, right. so you understand exactly what's going on. Because if you remember or not." I already had the 20 day challenge or we had the firefighter, we had the fire cadet, we had all that broken up and I had just started the six week pilot study. Yeah. So, and so, and so you jumped in and bless you for being so open-minded and, and agreeing to this experiment, which has, I think, uh, forever shaped your destiny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it actually has, uh, one of those people, um, rare where um, the passion you feel in life, which I developed for animal protection, for a plant-based diet, is also the way you make your money. So that doesn't happen too often. So um, I'm very grateful to that because what happened is you then introduced me to Brian Wendell, who is starting to do Forks Over Knives. And so I talked to him about doing a book in association with that. Um, through Brian, I then met Gene Bauer. Through Gene Bauer, I met Nathan Runkle. And I mean, it just kept snowballing. I would meet these people and all of them deserved to have books. And at the time, um, you know, I was a guy who was trusted by the publishing world because I'd already written so many books. So even though, you know, back, what, 2007, when I did become vegan, um, plant-based people said, oh, you have an eating disorder or there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, it, it meant, in fact, it was so strange to think that back then being plant-based caused so much concern. Do you remember that we had to actually put a little chicken into the first book? I was just gonna, I, I, no, I was just going to say the exact same thing. Our publishing house, they were fantastic and so supportive, but it was such a radical idea. And there were so few books on kind of, you know, eating plant-based that they insisted that as part of the eating plan, we included some fish and some chicken. And, you know, in future editions, we've removed that. Right. But that's how, that's how early we were to this game, you know? No, we were, we actually, I don't think we did it on purpose. I'd like to think we did it on purpose, but we didn't. We just happened to be right as the wave began to crest. It was just the exact right timing when your book came out was exactly the moment when people began to think about, oh, plant-based diets, doctors started thinking about it. And then the other pillars of veganism, animal protection, that started growing, yeah. um, athletic performance, people started looking into that. And, you know, of course, um, the environment, which has become one of the major pillars of veganism, particularly for people who are um, younger than us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, it, it checks every box, it's fantastic. How many different books have you written or helped people write? Do you have any idea? You know, I actually don't. Um, I mean, maybe a dozen. Um, a, a dozen? Are you being modest? I, I actually don't know. I mean, well, I never really, um, it's oh, a really okay. good question. I, I never stopped to count. I can tell you right now, it's somewhere between 40 to 60. Oh, you mean books? I thought you meant about being plant-based. Oh, oh, oh. Well, first, first I meant in, in totality. Oh, in yeah. totality, yeah, at least 50. I don't know because, again, you yeah. sort of lose count. But I would say probably 50 right. or so. And then, okay, and then in the plant-based arena, a good, yeah, dozen or so. And I know you mentioned some of those, but I just love to repeat some of those. Like Forks Over Knives, right? One of the most iconic brands that's out there. Uh, geez, uh, has anybody ever heard of How Not to Die? Yeah, that was a surprise. That's another book where I got into it thinking, you know, Michael Greger is a terrific guy. I respect him a lot. But, you know, how many people are really going to take the idea seriously that this is um, the right title for a book about Plant Strong? And, of course, some people thought How Not to Die. Are you telling us we're not going to die if yeah. we eat Plant Strong? But the point was simply, if you're going to die, at least do it right by being healthy up until the last minute. Yep, yep. So you have a new book. It is called, I have it right here. Oh, oh I beat you to it. No, actually, you beat me to it. So <laughs> there it is, right? 72 Reasons to Be Vegan. Uh -huh. Why plant-based, period. Why now, period. Not question marks, but periods. Absolutely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Not even exclamation uh, points, period. <laughs> no, yeah. Is it, was it that, that was very intentional? 
Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Cause we know, you know, subtitles are usually very long and hard to remember. This is very short and easy. Do you remember your subtitles? Absolutely. But don't ask me right now. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't put me on the spot like that. Um, so this, it's, this is adorable. It's at, I mean, this, they've done such a nice job with this. I can carry it around in my back pocket, which is probably intentional. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. So first let me ask you, you wrote this with Kathy Freston, right? Mm-hmm. Kathy, what a, what a pillar in the, in the vegan community. How did you and Kathy decide to team up on this book? Well, if I'm not mistaken, I, didn't you introduce me to Kathy? <laughs> no, I did. I did. But that was years and years ago. Yes. Yes. But it, well, it, there's one thing, you know, introducing somebody to somebody is one thing. Writing a book with them is another. So obviously yeah. you and Kathy had some sort of chemistry. True. But for me, introducing me to someone often does lead to a book. Okay. <laughs> true. True. Half the people you've introduced me to, I wrote books for. <laughs> Okay. So uh, anybody listening, if you want to write a book, there you go. <laughs> right here. Um, well, Kathy and I met um, through you. And um, again, one of those things where we didn't really know each other. We just knew about each other. We had lunch. And by the end of the lunch, we were like totally best buds. And we really liked each other and thought, let's do a project someday. And we talked about certain things here and there, but nothing ever came to fruition. But both of us had written about Um, veganism from various points of view. And what we realized is that despite all of the stuff about health or about the environment or animal protection, there wasn't a book that just put it all together. So Mm -hmm. that if you wanted to convince somebody, yeah, you should go vegan. There wasn't one book that I felt I could really give to them. So that's basically how this one came about. Right. And um, why is it 72 reasons instead of 58 or 101? (laughs) Well, you know, that's actually a great question that everybody asks. And what we decided was um, we didn't want to have like 100 reasons and then have to do 100 or have 50 and not have enough. We just wanted to write the reasons we thought were important and hope it would end up on a good number. (laughs) And then we like 72. 72 is like, it's a good number. Yeah. Yeah. So I do love the number seven and I do love the number two, right? I mean, right. We, we, we did the engine two diet. We did the engine two seven day rescue. You you combine them, you get 72. Good, good. So you throw, you throw around different terms, vegan, plant-based, plant strong. Is there one way that you refer to yourself, Gene Stone? Are you vegan? Are you plant-based? Are you a combination of all these things? Uh, I, I would say I'm a combination, and a lot of it de- depends on the audience I'm talking to. Uh, if I'm talking to people who I know want to hear the word vegan, I'll go with vegan. If I'm talking to people who want to hear the word plant strong, you know, I'll do that. Um, I don't. I think words are important, but they're also flexible. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are people who don't like the word vegan, um, and it was an issue. And we thought about 72 reasons to be plant based, or 72 reasons to be not eat meat, or whatever. Uh, but we did decide to go with vegan. I have discovered that um, the kind of below 35-year-olds, uh, vegan isn't a bad word the yeah. way it is maybe for people who thought about vegans 25 years ago who found them unpleasant and disagreeable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're, then you're very flexible, aren't you? I'm a very flexible guy. Yeah, very versatile. I could do some nope. yoga now and show you. <laughs> One of the things in the in the opening of this book, uh, you and Kathy talk about how the real power of going vegan, it's not what you're giving up. It's all the things that you're gaining, right. um, which, which I think so many people think that, oh my God, I'm going to be giving up this and giving up this and oh, life just won't be worth living. And they just don't even realize it. And you dive into all these things in this book. So are you okay if, if I throw some out at you? A couple of the 72? Uh, sure. Okay, let, let's, let's do it. So why don't we start with the first one, which is basically veganism is happening in a major way. Mm-hmm. It's, number, yeah. it's number one. And by the way, these are not in any particular order. 
Um, we talked about this with a publisher. Should we do environmental ones and should yeah. we do animal protection? And instead, we just decided, you know, let's just sort of make it random so you can pick the book up at any point and go this way or go that way. But we did actually put that one first because we just thought, you know, people like to jump on a bandwagon. And this is a really good bandwagon to jump on. And our point is what we were just actually talking about a little bit ago, that 15 years ago, nobody was really, well, somebody, but you were, but very few people were talking about this um, attitude towards food. And now it is pretty much all over the place. I moved to Los Angeles recently and have discovered that basically, I don't think I've been to a single restaurant that didn't have a vegan offering. Whereas 15 years ago, you had to beg and you'd end up with like a plate of boiled spaghetti with a can of tomato sauce on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's so true. A couple of things that you talk about under that first point and the fact like in Canada, you look at the food plate there and it's basically like it's plant-based. You look at uh, what's going on with Kaiser Permanente and they are you know, one of the largest health insurance providers in the country and they're all about plant-based. And I think that this is anything but fringe right now. It is so mainstream, it's crazy. It, yeah. it is amazing to me. As I said, I actually thought of your book as almost like pro bono because I really wanted to do it, but I didn't really think it would be well, what turned out to be a huge hit. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, 15 years ago. It's amazing. And then sometimes actually I'll talk to people like, well, you, I think you've been plant strong since 1985 or so. 87. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, I just even imagine what that would have been like. I mean, did you have to make your own soy milk? <laughs> no, they had soy milk and they had soy milk and rice milk and that was it. Right, right. Yeah, it was. Gene Bauer tells me about when they used to have to make their own soy milk up at the at farm sanctuary in places. Yeah. I I don't know if I could have gone plant strong back then, you know, because when I did it again, it was just at that curve. And in fact, I started an ice cream store, a non dairy ice cream store with some friends, but we were a little before the curve and it didn't quite work. So um, now you go to a freezer section, I think half of them are non dairy. No, it's true. It's true. Ben and Jerry's now has 11 different offerings. Let, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's nutty. I gotta That's go. Nuts. I gotta go get some. It, it's not in the book? It, ben it, and Jerry? It will be in the next edition. <laughs> Good. All right. Let's move on to another point. And this is appropriate because uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had Robbie Ballinger on the podcast. He He's plant-based. He ran across America. Uh, he averaged 48 miles a day. And he did it to basically to raise awareness around all things plant-based for the environment sustainability, health. Um, and I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, you know, I just didn't have the money to buy a Tesla. And so I knew that the next best thing as far as being a good environmentalist was to go plant-based. So you guys say it's cheaper and better <laughs> than buying a Tesla. Yeah, we actually came up with that. Um, I just want to read that researchers from the University of California, Riverside, have found that the total greenhouse gas emissions associated with a single charbroiled hamburger is equal to driving an 18-wheeler for 143 miles. If that is not good. If that isn't a powerful image, I don't know what is, right? By the way, we tell people if they do want to buy Tesla, that's cool too, but it's cheaper just to buy an impossible burger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, impossible beyond um, plant strong if if it's out there. All right, this this title is like <laughs> it is intense. <laughs> Fiber is your body's bitch. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like we're trying to hit the audience in a happy place. Try to be like kind of cool. Um, and the point is, as you would probably know better than anybody, given your medical yeah. family background, um, fiber is one of the most important things that we can put in our diet. Most people don't even think about it. If you're eating basically animal protein all the day, you're not getting the appropriate fiber that is good for your gut, your biome, and of course, for your poops. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would like to talk about that in a sec uh, as well. Here's something uh, that I know you have talked about a lot because it's very important to you, and that is antibiotic resistance and how when you are eating the standard American diet, I, I think uh, your likelihood, well, actually, I'm not going to even try and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Antibiotic resistance is no joke. 
That is the, the name of that uh, chapter. And I don't remember the statistic because I have to say this book has got maybe a thousand statistics it, in it, and I do not remember every one of it. But I think it's 80% of all the antibiotic use in America goes into animals. So every time you're having animal protein raised by your standard animal agriculture, you're ingesting antibiotics. And as we all know, the more antibiotics we take, the less likely they are to work in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And something that you wrote that, and this to me just brought me to my knees is the fact that more people die of antibiotic resistance every year than those that die from breast and prostate cancer combined. That like blew my lid. I didn't know it was that, it was that extreme. It it, it is a crisis. And, 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 uh, one of the things that I always try to tell people is that you don't want to take antibiotics like they're, you know, just popping aspirin. They're yeah. very serious medicines. The more you take, the more risky it is. But doctors, for whatever reason, find that it's very easy to give somebody an antibiotic. And a lot of times patients actually demand them. It's not even the doctor's choice. Patients want them so bad because they're this miracle drug. And, and they are a miracle drug when used appropriately. Yeah. But so many of the things... They're not used appropriately. Yeah. So this next one, I'm going to ask you instead of Kathy, because I'm going to have Kathy on the podcast too. Um, But, you know, this is kind of about um, blue steel, right? It's like, dude, (laughs) your erections. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this should grab the attention of all the men out there. And, you know, as as, um, Aaron Spitz said, you know, all the women out there that like their men hard, right? (laughs) Uh, as you know, in fact, I learned this from you and, and your dad, that um, blood flow is an extremely important part of getting a strong, good erection. And the best way to get good blood flow is to eat plants. And by the way, we also have a chapter on why the same is true for women and the clitoris. And this section was actually written by Jane, your sister. <laughs> uh Okay. Yes. I actually noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) Jane, by the way, in case people don't know, is um, uh, a teacher of sex education. We just didn't randomly ask her. This is a field she knows well. No. And in fact, before this airs, we will air an episode I just had with Jane talking about sex ed. Yeah. So it's very appropriate. Um, If people don't know, spending time with the Esselstyn family at the Esselstyn farm is like the most extraordinary indoctrination into plant strong diets you could ever have. Everybody there looks terrific. Everybody there is talking about why this is good for you, why that's good for you. They're making this incredible food. Uh, If you could, I would ask, I don't know, could you invite everybody in America to come to your house? Well, we did it for a long time when we had our plant stocks there. That's true. Right. Well, we had 800, 900 people. No, the most we ever had there was about 600. Yeah. That's so about most people have at their yeah. house. We'll be right back to the interview. But first, I'd love to share an update with you. We are really pleased to announce the return of our in-person retreats for October 2021. We'll be hosting a six-day escape to Sedona, Arizona, with our whole team, and you're invited to join us. This magical venue is the most powerful setting for transformation to take place, and due to its remote location and outdoor spaces, it's the perfect place to escape the pandemic. We do have COVID protocols in place, of course, and we've just announced all the details, so just visit plantstrong.com today to learn more. And if you're interested, register to join us this fall from October 11th to October 16th. I can't wait to meet you this fall. Okay, let's get right back to the show. So you have one that's called You Could Be the Next Gandhi Da Vinci Tolstoy. Yeah, we're not saying that you're going to go out and change the world or paint the most extraordinary paintings in history or write the greatest novel. What we're saying is that in history, some of the most remarkable people were plant-based. Now, we don't think they were probably completely plant-based because it was probably very hard to be totally vegan back in 1600s. But these were people who did not ever want to eat meat. And so it isn't just simply that we're talking about the history of the last 15 years, people going 
um, who is the um, Pythagoras? Yes. Yeah. 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 As far as we know, is the first person that we know of in history who was a vegetarian. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, one of the things that I read on that chapter that I thought was super interesting. Well, you you talked about all the celebrities in every walk of life that is that are gravitating towards this way of eating, from you know Woody Harrelson to Madonna, you know to Tobey Maguire. But I didn't know that Mary. Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, was, you know, vegetarian, vegan, and that Frankenstein, the monster, also was yeah. uh, was that way. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, it just goes to show what you want to do in life. If you want to be a great author or if you want to be a monster, being uh, <laughs> vegan is the best way to go. <laughs> Love it. So when we met and you took that first 28-day challenge the one thing that you were hanging on to, and you told me, I am supremely healthy. My cholesterol is as low as it can go. It can't go any lower. I'm like, well, let's just try. Let's just try. I felt like Sam I am, you know, <laughs> green eggs and ham. Mm -hmm. And, um, but you're like, oh, but I love my eggs. I love my eggs. Well, tell me, and you now, I think, believe it. Eggs are not incredible or edible. Do you know why? Yep. That's one of our topics too. And the um, cholesterol in eggs shows up in your body. Um, and I did notice, you know, my family, as you know, has genetically very high cholesterol levels. Um, I came into the study, I think, I think I was like around 170 or 180, which is by far the lowest in my family. Everybody else in my family was on statins. My mother, who your grandfather said, her cholesterol level was over um, 250. But I do you remember that I went down to about 110, I think maybe? Yeah. No, you got down low. You were, I remember you being like 115, yeah, 100, right around 120. And, uh, and you did it in a very short period of time because we checked it at like two weeks and a month. And you even went out because I, I told you the brand of the machine that I had and you bought the test strips and the machine and all that. <laughs> I was checking it every day from then on. Yeah. And then I remember I went to my doctor for the checkup, manual checkup a few days later. And he was kind of like, what is going on here? And he just felt that the test that he did was, must have been wrong because he couldn't believe that dietary, um, that your diet could have that kind of effect on your cholesterol level. Yeah, I mean, he's a good guy. I like my doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trained in a way that, well, as you know, medical doctors don't get a lot of nutritional. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, one of the things that I read in that chapter that that really caught my attention, and I didn't know this, is that the 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 hen has something called a cloaca, mm -hmm. and and the fact that a cloaca is basically an anus, a vagina, and a urinary tract that's all in one, and that is where the egg comes from. I mean, you know, <laughs> picture that. I try to get people, okay, you want to eat an egg. I want you to imagine how it comes to your plate, where it originates. And I want you to get a nice visual image of this happening. And are you still hungry? No, it's a, what, I think you guys refer to it as a hen mens menstruation, right? Basically, right. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I no longer have that fantasy about eating an egg for a long time I did and I actually cheated uh, maybe a year into it because yep. I was at a farm and the happy hens next door were laying eggs everywhere and um, so I had an omelet and man I was so surprised it was just it didn't taste good it was too rich and I um, I just couldn't believe it I no longer liked eggs yeah I do um, I do have just eggs sometimes right. yep yep they've done I'm not, I'm not they eggs They've done a remarkable job uh, with some of these imitation animal products, right? Whether it's the cheeses, the meats, the uh, the eggs, really remarkable. Yeah, as uh, I said, I, I don't like that to be the major part of my diet. I really do prefer yeah. fruits, vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. But every now and then, I will have an Impossible Burger. But I'm particularly if I'm with somebody who doesn't want to do the fruits yeah. and vegetables thing, then it's really easy to give them just eggs and Beyond Meat sausage. And they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of happy, you uh, have a whole chapter on how you can have fun and do this, right? Martinis and coffee and fun. Mm -hmm. uh, really? Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kathy's actually really big on that one. She, I'm not 
the big martini drinker. Uh, yeah. She likes a martini. She likes her wine. She really feels it's really important um, to make sure that people don't look at vegans and think, oh, they're just sitting around being miserable all the time. <laughs> and of course, when I did the book with Dr. Greger, one of the chapters is on depression and how a plant-based diet can help depression, particularly with certain spices like saffron, which apparently tests have shown can be as um, effective as Prozac mm. in reducing depression. Well, and you have saffron and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a whole chapter on that, how being vegan can make you happier. And uh, I think, you know, I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of Americans right now that are that are suffering from some sort of depression and, right and, and a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, maybe something as simple as going plant-based and doing some saffron and stuff like this could really help out. I also worry, you know, they've been talking about so many people during COVID uh, gaining weight. This book can help you figure out how to lose weight. We talk about other things I think that would be really useful for people coming out of COVID to, um, you know, come back in the world and look good and feel good. I think yeah. this book can help them. Yeah. You uh, you have a chapter too on on slaughterhouses and yeah. right and, and how working in a slaughterhouse can be can be hell. And 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 you know that that's a side of things that I don't you know normally get into or talk about, but I think it's a it's a reality. I think everybody should have some awareness around the horrendous conditions that are right. In other words, the, the, these are very much, for the most part, um, reasons that are good for you. But you also want to make it clear that there are other reasons to go vegan, particularly if you're interested in work conditions. The people who work in slaughterhouses have horrible jobs, horrible lives. It's a terrible thing to have to do. And by eating meat, you're basically contributing to them doing that. We also have a chapter on um, people who raise chickens and yeah. the intense pressure that they face. We actually got somebody who had been a person growing chicken, raising chicken, and <laughs> had them figuring out why this was an untenable uh, profession for them, and they gave it up. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it was the Barretts, and I actually had them on the plant-based, plant, plant-based, plant-strong podcast a couple of weeks ago. They're amazing people. They actually came to one of our uh, seven-day medical immersion programs in Sedona. Yeah. And you know what they're doing now? Instead of doing chicken farm, you know what they're doing? No. They're doing mushrooms. Oh, Mushroom, great. Mushrooms, which yeah. is something that I know when you were in Hudson, you uh, you had a good friend that was also doing some mushroom um, farming. The mushroom thing has is, is gotten amazing. It was used to be that you would have, you know, mushrooms like, I don't know, maybe on top of a steak or in Chinese food, and they were all those little button mushrooms. Now there's like 50 different mushrooms that people talk about. People are going out looking for them. They're mushroom burgers. It's, it's mushrooms have become major. And by the way, I love mushrooms. Yeah. Well, and you knew who I just had on the podcast was Derek Sarnow, who is all about the mighty mushroom. Right. <laughs> major mushroom guy. Major mushroom. <laughs> uh, so, who in the world would have thought that cows love classical music? I mean, well, talk, talk to me about that. this. <laughs> I, I love the fact that somebody not only um, proved it, but they wanted to prove it. I mean, you know, when you're sitting around thinking of, hmm, what kind of experiment can I do today? Maybe I'll play classical music for cows. But somebody actually did it. And it turns out you start fiddling away Bach for a cow, she will come over and she'll get really happy and she likes it enormously. Cows have a very bad rap. And it is true that over the years, we have probably genetically modified the smartest ones away, the ones who might be unruly. Mm -hmm. But even so, they're, they're really amazing and sweet and lovely creatures. And with the possible exception of pigs, I don't know of any other animal we mistreat as badly as, as the cow. I mean, what well, has the cow ever done to us? Nothing, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you, you mentioned pigs, right? Um, and I think you guys have a whole chapter on pigs and how pigs are smarter than a three-year-old child. Yeah, a lot of work has been done on, the, on their cognition and their intelligence yeah. levels. They're incredibly smart. And um, 
again, I don't want to get gruesome here because I think we all know if you start talking about what actually happens to these animals, it is not fun. Um, but yeah, people, um, I know a few people who have taken pigs out and rescued them and they've just grown to love them. Just think they're amazing, wonderful, sweet animals. Well, you know, growing up, um, we had four different pet pigs. Oh, I yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was so fun. And in fact, this is a fun story. So we used to have this, this place where we would go, it's called the big slide and you, you get on these burla burlap sacks and you, you know, go up the stairs and then you'd go down this slide. It was like as high as like a five story building. And we had a babysitter who, <laughs> who had our two or three week old pig in a blanket and she had a little bottle and everything like that. And this woman came up and said, Oh, let me see your cute little baby. And before she could say, you know, it's a pig, right. She kind of put her head in there and then just shrieked <laughs> because she, she thought, Oh my God, it's a pig baby. <laughs> well, she'd been really polite. She would have just gone with it and said, Oh, what a cute baby. <laughs> oh, I love the nose. <laughs> he looks just like you right? what is, what is, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to say the, I did stop eating anything related to pigs once I saw the movie Babe which yeah. I just thought was such a wonderful movie and um, this is way before I met you um, but after seeing that and of course having read Charlotte's Web um, and, and falling in love with Wilbur I just feel like pigs are so cool yeah. Yeah. No, pigs are amazing. Um, so you talk about how this vegan plant-based lifestyle is an absolute ongoing adventure. How so? How so? Well, what we're trying to do there is that people know that this is not something rigorous. This is not something difficult. Um, Kathy likes to talk about crowding out rather yeah. than excluding. In other words, if you put a lot of vegetables and fruits into your diet, there's less room for the stuff that you really shouldn't be eating, but it's also, it's fun. Uh, you get to meet new foods. You get to talk to people who are vegan. And all of a sudden you have a great bond. It, it is an adventure for me. Of course, it has been an incredible adventure since meeting you and then writing your books and everybody else's books. I'm not saying other people need to do that, but if you are interested in, uh, animal protection, or you're interested in health. Um, you know, for me, it was writing, but there's so many other things you can do mm. that can advance the cause if that's where you choose to go. Um, so yeah, it, it is an adventure. Well, that's a good point. I mean, I think everybody, there's so many people that are realizing all the benefits of a plant-based lifestyle mm -hmm. and realizing how important it is that we spread this message. And so yeah, I mean, hone and utilize whatever skill set you have, right? In order to help get the message out there, and you have you have done that in a beautiful, beautiful way. So, smoking cigarettes used to be very accepted, right? Back in the '50s, '60s, what four out of five doctors, you know, recommended lucky lucky strikes, you know, over Marlboro. I know those were your favorites, um, <laughs> uh, but I think do you feel like meat? is the new tobacco and that in 15, 20, 30 years, we'll be, we'll be going, what in the world were we thinking that meat was, was, was healthy and people were pushing it? Yeah, I am. I'm not going to say hundred percent sure of that, but I'd like to think that's the case. And I think it probably is. I think that as more people realize how pernicious it can be, how mm -hmm. bad it is for the animals, uh, all the other things we've talked about that eventually with a combination of these non-meat-based burgers and cheeses and everything else becoming popular. Um, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that at some point people will go, God, what were these people doing back then? They were just destroying animals. They were destroying the earth. They were destroying everything just so they could have a burger. Um, I know that sounds a little weird now, but um, again, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it would have been weird to say cigarettes are bad for you. Mm -hmm. um, as times change, there are these moments where people begin to realize, oh, what we've been doing is wrong. And I'd like to think that meat is going to be eventually taboo. Well, and when you think about the cigarettes, I mean, there is some secondary secondhand smoke, right? That with cigarettes, but you think about 
the unhealthy ripple effect that's caused by meat. And to me, it makes smoking cigarettes look like a drop in the bucket, like nothing whatsoever. And again, when I talk to people under the age of 30, it is really the environment that brings most of them into being uh, vegan. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's no question that um, animal agriculture is is terrible for the environment. And so if you think you're an environmentalist and you're still having burgers, it's really hard to say that you're really an environmentalist. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe how far you've come since you, when you were growing up, you would hide your vegetables in the drawer next to the chair where you sat at the dinner table with your family and your mother or somebody busted you and you had to open the drawer and there was a year's worth of rotting vegetables. Yeah. that's kind of a legend in my family. My niece and nephew talk about that. It's kind of like the thing that people identify with me and my family because yeah, I hated vegetables. And the only way I'd get dessert is if I had a clean plate. And luckily the only drawer in the kitchen was right there beneath me. So, but I wasn't smart enough to think, well, maybe tonight I should go and clean it out. It was like out of sight, out of mind. Um, And uh, it did stink eventually. My mother discovered it and I got totally punished for it. Oh gosh, Gene. But if if anybody told me then that one day all I would be doing is loving and eating vegetables, I would have said, no way, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Would you say that because of your vegan plant-based lifestyle, you have now made a set of friends that you never ever would have made before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, it's really nice to be able to write about the thing you're passionate about, but it's also really nice to make friends with the people that share that same passion and um, there are a number of people like you or Kathy or Jean yeah. Bauer uh, from Farm Sanctuary. Um, I could name a lot more. Yeah. Um, and um, there's something really kind of magical about meeting somebody and having this immediate uh, sense of um, association and understanding that, um, yeah, I have more friends than I've ever had before. It's really nice. a, would you say that it is a, um, I'm not going to say a requirement because that seems too strong. But would you say that it's you, you, you prefer if somebody is now plant-based so that they're more in alignment with your values? That's, that's a tough one. Um, well, first of all, most of my friends are not plant-based. And yeah. certainly the friends I've had since college. Um, but I actually have flipped a number of people, um, which surprises me because it's hard to predict which of your friends will say, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And which yeah. of your friends will sort of say, no way. Um, but um yeah, it's um, I would like it if all of my friends were plant-based. It's not going to happen, but it would be nice. Yeah, yeah. If you were stranded <laughs> <laughs> on a desert island and you could only have one food to sustain you for six months, oh. what would that what would that food be? I guess it would just have to be chocolate. <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> Uh, okay. What, uh, any particular brand or percent uh, darkness? Well, it would have to be over 70% to be plant-based. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, if it's only one food and it's, yeah, I, I guess I'd go with chocolate. I mean, I'm assuming I'm not going to get rescued, so I might as well go out happy. <laughs> well, uh, I can I answer my own question? <laughs> so, Rip, let's say you're on a desert island and you only have one food. What would it be? Gene, that is such a brilliant question. So uh, I think because I'm gonna I'm gonna save up my, all my reserves so I can swim off that island and swim across the Atlantic or wherever it is I am. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do sweet potatoes, gorgeous orange sweet potatoes. They're gonna give me all the carbohydrates and fats and protein that I need, along with the complement of antioxidants and phytonutrients and fiber. I'm going to load up on those for probably two or three months. And then I'm going to set sail, right? With my Speedo. (laughs) As you know, I can only swim about 50 feet. So unless the island is right next to a major continent, I'm doing it. So I think that, I think, I think that'd be awesome. You and I were stuck on a desert island. You get the chocolate. I get the sweet potatoes. I say, Gene, it's been real. Really? Well, would you send someone back to rescue me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd also give you my stash of sweet potatoes. Nah, I'd stick with the chocolate. 
<laughs> All right. Gene, before we wrap this up, is there anything that you want to share with the audience? Anything you're most excited about or any last words of, of yes. Gene Stone wisdom? Yes. My book. <laughs> 72 Reasons. My book. I really, really, really hope you'll buy it because it'll help you understand why you're vegan if you already are. And even better, it's a great book to give to somebody who's not quite there yet, but maybe with just a little, little, little push of a book can get there. So uh, yeah, buy 10, 20, 50 copies. Gene, one more question for you. Do you think that you and I have another book in us? <laughs> um, I think the answer there is yes. All right. Let's see what we can do. All right. All right. And with that, and with that, will you follow my lead here? Peace. Peace. Engine two. Engine two. Keep it plant strong. Plant strong. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. There's a saying out there and it goes like this. You're the product of the five closest people you hang out with. Well, fortunately, Gene Stone found himself surrounded by the leading voices in the plant-based movement, and he is now one of the most sought-after authors in this space. It has changed his life in remarkable and numerous ways, and I hope his new book helps you on your journey. Next week, we'll continue the conversation with co-author Kathy Freston, but in the meantime, if you want to learn more about 72 Reasons to Be Vegan or any of our other resources, visit plantstrongpodcast.com. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.